Good morning. I want to welcome you back to our series called The Last Words of Christ, and we are focusing on the last things that Jesus said while he was dying on the cross. And the purpose of what we want to do over the next several weeks is certainly to move our hearts to a place of gratitude, to reaffirm that gratitude that we have for what Jesus did, for his sacrifice on the cross, to pay our sin debt, to make it possible for us to be made right with God. We certainly want to move our hearts into a place of gratitude as Good Friday approaches and our Easter celebration. There's another reason why I think it's really important for us to to study and to look at the last words of Christ while he was dying on the cross. I think that the the weight of what Jesus said uh, brings up uh, some important and difficult questions that I think are important for us to wrestle with. Like last week, we looked at the question, we, we asked the question, do I have to forgive someone who doesn't ask for it? That's a tough question. And I wonder, was there anyone, you don't have to answer out loud, uh, was there anyone who dealt with that even this week in, in your life that you have to wrestle with, do I have to forgive this person uh, even though they haven't asked for it? I've experienced that. This week, we're looking at, I think, another difficult question. It's this. What should my response be? What should your response be when, when life isn't fair? Have you ever had to wrestle with that one? I wonder if there's anyone in the room, anyone watching this maybe online that has ever wrestled with the tension of what do I do? How do I react? How should I respond when life isn't fair? I once heard a guy say, life's not fair and then you die. Oh my, that'd be a terrible book title, wouldn't it? I don't know who, who would want to buy that book. And, and I think it's a terrible way to look at life. I think we can do better than that. So I'd like for you to join me in Luke chapter 23. We're going to look at the next thing that Jesus said from the cross. Last week, we listened to Jesus say, Father, as he prayed, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And we're going to jump back into this story in Luke uh, chapter 23 and verse 39. So Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's already prayed and asked the Father to forgive the people that have been doing these things, actively doing these things to him uh, as he is in agony hanging from the cross and as people are scoffing him as they're gambling for his clothes. We jump into this scene, part of the scene in verse 39. One of the criminals, so you have Jesus in the middle, you have a criminal uh, on either side of him, and one of them hanging beside him also scoffed at Jesus, saying, so you're the Messiah, are you? All right, prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. The other criminal, verse 40, protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, here's, here's our verse for today, I assure you, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. Maybe when you read that, when you hear that, 
you might think to yourself, well, that's very nice of Jesus. It's very nice of Jesus to give this dying man assurance of eternal life in paradise. And maybe when you read that, when you hear it, it doesn't create any tension inside of you. But I want us to read another story about something that Jesus said to another man who also was interested in assurance of eternal life in paradise. Join me in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, fell to his knees, knelt down, and asked this, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So here's someone else interested in assurance of eternal life in paradise. Jesus responds, Why do you call me good? Jesus asks, Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. This young rich man was also interested in assurance of paradise, eternal life. But Jesus did not give him the same assurance that he gave the criminal on the cross. We're going to watch a monologue, and I just want to kind of set it up this way by saying uh, it's a monologue of, of this man, of what he might have said or thought. And they've taken some poetic license with his story in in this. They're setting it up as if this particular man that we just read about, what what would have happened? What would he have thought? What would he have said if he had been in earshot of the cross that day? After what Jesus just said to him, after what he just experienced, what if he had been within earshot of the cross and watched Jesus turn to the criminal and heard Jesus say to the criminal, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. And give that man assurance of eternal life in paradise. And we don't know for sure if he would have been there. It's certainly possible. We know from this account from the record that he was a, a, a religious Jew. And it was Passover week, so it's, it's very possible he would have been in the city At that time, it's possible that he could have been there, but let's imagine that he was. Let's imagine that the rich young man was in earshot of Jesus as he was dying, and he heard Jesus say that to the criminal. I wonder 
how he might have reacted to those words. And as you watch the monologue, I'm going to ask you to also think, how, how would you have reacted if you had been in this same situation? Let's watch. Oh, yeah. No, I heard what he said. I heard all too well what Jesus told that man, that, that thief that he was hanging next to. And you know what? It was drastically different than what he told me. You see, the day that I encountered Jesus, I dropped to my knees right in front of him. He had my respect from the start. You see, I wasn't looking for a handout, okay? I explained to him that I had done the hard work. I just needed to know, was there something that I was missing? Was there, was there some good thing that I needed to do in order to inherit eternal life? And you know, sell all that you own. That's what Jesus told me. Sell it all, and you'll have treasure in heaven. <laughs> yeah, right. You see, I was always taught that salvation is a reward for a life that is filled with good works. It is not a handout that you give to people that can't muster up can't muster up enough character to earn it themselves. My wealth is a clear indication of the favor that rests upon me from God. I had asked about eternal life, and this, this disgusting shell of a man, he's the one that gets it? Jesus told him the day he died, he would be in paradise. This man couldn't bleed a drop of goodness that he hadn't borrowed. No, no, that he hadn't stolen from the righteous man that he's hanging next to. He was a thief, and I'm the one that is treated like I've been robbing God all along. I offered to do what I needed to do. This man offered nothing. All he could do was ask for mercy. And, and that's how he got salvation. That's how he got eternal life. It was just, it was just given to him. Like, like it was a, a gift. I have no idea if the rich young man was on Skull Hill that day as Jesus died. It's not far-fetched that he could have been, and certainly this reaction I don't think is far-fetched either, if he had. 
I can understand this reaction. If you believed that getting to heaven was based on a merit system, that it had to be earned. If you spent your whole life, imagine this, you spent your whole life doing the right thing and still not having this assurance that you were good enough to go to heaven. And then some criminal probably spent his life always doing the wrong thing, was given this assurance of heaven just by confessing his sin, by repenting and and, and believing that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be, that he's God in the flesh, the king of a heavenly kingdom, with the authority to give mercy, with the authority to grant him grace and allow him to go to heaven, having no chance to ever make things right. And there you are, you spend your whole life doing the right thing. If you, if you believe that's how heaven worked, you'd probably, tick, you'd probably uh, would be ticked off too. You would probably think to yourself, that's not fair. And I wonder if you've ever felt like that. I've, I wonder if you've ever experienced things in life where you just look at it and you have this tension inside of you and, and you think, this isn't, this isn't fair. This isn't right. Now, maybe, maybe you've never experienced it to the point where you're like, life's not fair, and then you die. Like, maybe you've never been to that extreme end of it. But I think we've all felt the tension of things in life that, that just aren't fair. I was, I was traveling back from California one time a few years back and flew into Washington, D.C. I still had one more flight to make back to State College. And my flight landed on time, but for some reason, they didn't let us off the plane. It's like 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And I had a, a bit of a tight window, and you know, the, the airport at D.C. is kind of laid out uh, where it's not super quick to get from one end to the other. So eventually they let us off, and I missed my flight. I, I couldn't physically could not get uh, from that gate to the gate I needed to get to in time. So I missed my flight, so I went to customer service. As I'm standing in, in customer service, wondering, well, how, how am I going to get home? Hopefully they'll help me figure this out. The, there's a lady in front of me at the counter, and she missed her flight because her flight uh, got in late for whatever reason. And I'm listening as the customer service rep is giving her apologies and a voucher for meals, a voucher for a hotel. Oh, this isn't going to be so bad. It's inconvenient, but this will be all right. I can handle this. So then I stepped up to the counter, and uh, she types it up, and, and she said, uh, uh, so we can get you on a flight tomorrow morning. Okay. And that was it. And so basically she was offering me an uncomfortable uh, seat in the airport. I said, well, uh, this, this lady that you just helped, you gave her uh, meal vouchers and a hotel voucher. Am I, am I not eligible for those things? Oh, no, your flight came in on time. Yes, my flight came in on time, but they wouldn't let me off the plane for a half hour, and that wasn't my fault. And we went back and forth on, on this, and she would not budge. And I'm thinking to myself, and I said it to her, this is not fair. 
Maybe you've experienced things like that in life. There are things in life that are even bigger than that. What's happening in Ukraine right now is not fair. You have people that are fleeing their homes, people that are fleeing their country. They're leaving behind a husband, a dad, a grandfather. Why? Why is it happening? Was it because uh, you know, there's someone with, with evil in his heart that wants what? Money? Power? I, I, I don't understand all of the things that are motivating this. But I know it's not fair. Now, here in the United States, we, you know, thankfully, we're not dying. We're not having our cities bombed. But we're dealing right now with these crazy high gas prices, which affect everything, everything you go to, to the store to buy. And it's not fair. And, and, and there's multiple reasons why this inflation is so bad. It's not any one particular thing. But you start looking at some of the, some of the reasons why it's happening. It's like, well, we didn't start this war in Ukraine. You and, you and I, we're, we're not in leadership positions. We're not making policy decisions. I keep seeing these stickers on gas pumps with some old guy that's claiming credit for all of this. I don't know where, where those things are coming from, but, and, and maybe that has something to do with it. I, here's what I do know. I, I do know that I'm not making these policy decisions, and you're not. There are people with power and authority that make decisions, and they impact our lives, and sometimes they impact our lives in a negative way, and it's not fair. How about this? You do everything right at work. You show up on time, maybe even early, and you work hard. You don't, you don't cheat time from your, your employer. You don't steal stuff from work. You do everything right. And when it comes time for the promotion, that guy who's a toad, who's always doing the wrong thing, it just doesn't get caught, He's the guy or she's the gal that gets the promotion instead of you. And you're like, that's not fair. You play on a team that's coached by a bunch of dads who give preference to their kids and their kids' friends. Not fair, but it happens. You don't smoke, chew, or run with girls who do and you still get cancer. Not fair. Life's not fair. And, and when the unfairness of life hits us, when it disrupts our lives, there are usually two emotions that rise to the surface in us. Anger and fear. Sometimes we feel angry that we're being treated unfairly. And that those who are to blame for the problems, they don't seem to care how their choices, their decisions impact you and me. Or we're angry that those who deserve bad things to happen to them, they seem to always come out on top and you and I, we get the short end of the stick. Or maybe it's fear. 
Now, there's, there's a lot of talk. Maybe you've shut the news off at this point, but there, you, know, you turn the news on, there's a lot of talk of things like World War III and nuclear destruction and total economic collapse. Those are scary things. And these frightening possibilities are happening because of decisions made by world leaders far distance from you and I. And some of them, they have evil in their hearts. Some of them have globalist, Marxist uh, agendas and ideologies. And some of them are just terrible leaders. You and I have no say in some of those decisions that are being made, and yet we're impacted by them. It's not fair. Well, maybe the guy who said, life's not fair, and then you die. Maybe he had a point. I don't know. I'm kidding. I, I don't believe that. But I do think it's important that we ask the question, what are we supposed to do with this tension that we feel inside of us when life is not fair? How should we respond? How should we react? How do we process those feelings when life's not fair? I want you to think about some other things that Jesus said. You can look at this story if you'd like. I'm going to give you kind of a summary of it. In Matthew chapter 20, in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus tells this parable of a vineyard owner. And he goes out early in the morning and he, he hires some guys to work in his vineyard. It's like 6 a.m. these guys get started in the vineyard. And he makes an agreement with them that, that he's going to pay them a day's wage. Okay, they agree to that, and they go out, and they, they get to work. And then uh, the, the, the vineyard owner goes out, and it's like 9 a.m., and he sees some guys standing around doing nothing. He says, hey, you guys need work? And he hires uh, some more workers, and he says to them, at the end of the day, I'll pay you what's fair. All right. Does the same thing at noon, hires some more people. Does the same thing at 3 o'clock, hires some more people. And then uh, right before quitting time, like an hour before quitting time, he does the same thing. So the workday's done, and he calls them all together for, for their pay. And he starts with the people, the, the workers who were hired last, the work like for an hour. And he gives them a full day's wage. You know, he worked an hour. And... And the, the, the guys who started at 6 a.m., they were expecting, well, he's, when he gets to us, we'll probably make double that, like triple time probably. And that's not what happened. Whether they started at 6, 9, noon, 3, it, they all got the same. And those guys that started at 6 a.m. were ticked. What are you, what are you doing? We, we worked all day in the, in the hot sun. And, and you're going to give these guys who worked an hour the same wage as us? It's not fair. The vineyard owner in this story that Jesus, this parable that he was telling, said, well, wait a minute, this, I'm not being unfair to you. You agreed to work for a day's wage. Is that not what I gave you? It's my money. Do I not have the right? Is it, is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Are you jealous? Are you envious that I'm kind, that I am generous to people? The immediate application of that, 
I think our minds would go to the fact that, you know, if you've been a Christian for 50 years and, and you've done the right thing and you follow Jesus and, and you've loved people and, and you've served God and you've done all of these things, would you be tempted to look at someone who, who comes to know Christ on their deathbed and think, whoa, 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 that person who's been saved for 10 minutes gets the same eternal life that, that I get? that fair? But I think there's some other things in, in that, that parable that I think are important for us, and it, it, it's this. Have you, ever, have you ever been angry with God because something happened in your life, and you're like, that's not fair, and you're angry with God because you think that, that because you've done all the right things that somehow God owes you a problem-free life? That he owes you something for being good and it's not fair that you're going through whatever it is that you're going through. Have you ever felt that way? Imagine, imagine the young woman who, who thinks, you know, this, this is not fair. That some, some girl out there who doesn't give a rip about God, who lives like the devil, and she gets pregnant... She's probably going to mess that kid up so badly. I can't get pregnant. I, 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 I do all the right things. And I've had four miscarriages. It's not fair. I don't think that, that Jesus would try to convince us that life is fair. This is not. I do think Jesus would challenge us that God can be generous to whomever he wants to be generous to. That he can show grace and mercy to whomever he chooses. He doesn't owe us an explanation for that. Why do bad things happen? Well, we, we live in a broken world, broken by sin. And that touches all of us. But here's the difference. Here's the good news. The difference is, the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous is Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 says, We know that in all things, in things that are fair and unfair, things that are pleasant and unpleasant, things that we like and enjoy and things that we don't, in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. I'm... This touches my life, my family. My, my mom had several miscarriages. My, I was born, Michelle was born. She had several miscarriages. Uh, and we, we have a, a brother and a sister that are adopted into our family. My mom, my dad were moved towards foster care, were moved in their hearts towards adoption because of those difficult experiences. And I have a, a brother and a sister that, that uh, quite honestly, were rescued out of incredibly terrible situations and were given a loving family. And, and, and that happened through a, through a difficult, a very difficult experience in life that wasn't fair, but God moved in my parents' hearts to do something that made a difference, that made an eternal impact in some children's lives. 
That's Romans 8.28. We, we heard the story of Fanny Crosby this morning. Goes to the doctor to get some help and instead winds up with malpractice or whatever that was, becoming blind? That's not fair. And yet God used that. 85 now with these new, new songs, like 10,000 songs? What? God may not always spare us from the really hard things, but we can be confident that God is at work to do good, eternally significant things, even when, it, when it's happening, it doesn't seem fair. Another story that Jesus told was the story of the prodigal son. You remember this story? This guy's got two sons, and one always does the right thing, and, and one of them is, is just a little rip, and he, he decides that he's going to go to his dad and say, you know what, I can't wait around forever for you to die, so give me my inheritance, and I'm out of here. Who says that to their dad? And that's what he did. He took his inheritance, and he runs off, and he blows blows his inheritance, and ruined his life. He finally gets to this place when he... I love, I love that phrase in that, in that parable when uh, Jesus said this, this young man came to his senses. I love that. Came to his senses. And this is what he reasoned. He's like, there's slaves living in my, my father's household that are living better than I am. I've ruined my life. Maybe if I go home, he'll at least let me be a slave. He goes home, and that's, that's, that's not what happened, is it? What happened was his father embraces him and restores him, throws a, a, a celebration for him. And the older brother wouldn't go in to the party. He was ticked. He's like, this isn't fair. And the dad goes out to talk to him, and, and he's like, what's, what's going on? My whole life, I've done the right thing. I've been loyal to you. I've been faithful to you. And you throw a party for this guy? Went and, and squandered you know, his inheritance and disrespected you? Of course, the father's perspective is, your brother, my son, was dead. And now he's alive. We have to celebrate that. I think that story which is in Luke 15, by the way, if you want to jot it down and, and look it up, Luke 15. I think that story is important because sometimes, yes, uh, we love the, the, the perspective of a, of a father restoring a son who's, who's gone away and has repented. That's, that's awesome. But you think of it from the perspective of the dad talking to his son that did the right thing. There's reward in doing the right thing. Sometimes we forget that there's reward in doing the right thing. It's not just rewards that we'll receive in heaven. Yes, that, that will come one day. But there's reward now in these moments for doing the right thing, for following Jesus. And it's not that there's uh, this, uh, this inequity of fairness where the, the, the people who do the wrong thing always get off scot-free, because that's not how it works. It sometimes feels that way. But you look at that moment of celebration when the son returns, and you might think, well, that's not, that's not fair. You might side with the, with the other brother and it's like, yeah, you're right. It's not fair. But you forget the fact that the rotten son's choices, he ruined his life. It's, this whole time when the, when the good son was being faithful and loyal, what was he enjoying? He was enjoying the love 
and the relationship with his father for that whole time. While, while his brother was out there ruining his life and, 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 and experiencing negative things through that, life was good. That's a reward. You could look at the moment when Jesus said to this criminal, today you will be with me in paradise, and think, well, that's not, that's not fair. Well, time out. Let's not forget where we were in this moment. This man is dying on a cross for his choices. When you live a Jesus-centered life, there's reward in that. There's joy and there's peace and there's contentment and satisfaction that cannot be rattled out of you. Even when life is not fair. And it's a huge reward for, for learning how to trust Jesus. Learning, learning how to follow Jesus has just these unrattled rewards. I believe that I have a strong marriage. I believe that I have close relationships with my three children. And I give glory to God in His grace. I believe that to be true. And I believe in God's grace that that's the reason that it's true. But I also believe that part of that reward of experiencing that in life is, is trying, uh, trying to have a marriage, trying to pursue a marriage that, that matches up with, with what God expects of a, of a biblical marriage, of a godly marriage, and, and to parent in a way that would, that would honor God. Still God's grace. You know, I'm not perfect. My, my family's not perfect. That's not what I mean. But I, but I look at what God has blessed me with in my relationships, and I think this. Even, even if the economy turns upside down, and it all falls apart, and i got to live in a van down by the river, like if, if it gets to that point, if, if, if I have a strong marriage and a strong relationship with my kids, I'm blessed. Blessed beyond measure. There's reward in pursuing a Jesus-centered life. Listen to that, those words. I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And, and maybe now that we've gone through this, maybe that doesn't seem fair when you hear it now. But I want to tell you why we can celebrate that what Jesus said wasn't fair. There's three reasons why we can be thankful that what Jesus said wasn't fair. Here's the first one. The gospel is not rooted in being fair, and we can be very thankful for that. What Jesus did for us on the cross means that God can offer us grace instead of what's fair. Fair would be what the rich young man was chasing after. What's the list of good things I have to do? Give me the list. What's the number of good deeds that I have to accomplish? What's the level of performance I must provide in order to be worthy of heaven? And the gospel says, no, 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 cheer up. You're way worse than you think you are. And you cannot earn your way to heaven but cheer up, you're loved more than you can imagine, and Jesus already paid your sin debt for you. In full. 
Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For it's by grace you have been saved, through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of, it's not of works, not our good works that we earn our salvation. It's God's gift of grace that, that we receive through faith in Jesus Christ so that we can never stand before God and boast that we deserve to be there because we don't. We can be so thankful that the gospel isn't fair, that God treats us with grace, mercy, and justice rather than fairness. Salvation and eternal assurance of heaven is found through faith in Jesus to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. If we got fairness from God, we would have no hope of eternal life. So we can be thankful that the, that the gospel is not rooted in fairness, but it's rooted in God's grace. Secondly, hope is not built on being fair. Hope is not built on being fair. We can have this great unshakable hope even in the middle of extremely unfair situations. Listen, there's, there's no denying that our world is kind of a big mess right now. And, and let's just be honest, there's no sign of things getting any easier anytime soon. But guess what, believer? Our future is secure in Christ. The world may very well fall apart, and we may experience some very unpleasant, terrible things. But even if the worst happens, we can hear the promise of Jesus, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. That hope is not built on fairness, it's built on God's grace and faith in Jesus Christ to keep this promise of eternal life. Hope is not built on being fair, and we can be very thankful for that. Third, love is not ruled by fairness. It's the other way around. Fairness is ruled by love. You know, there, there, are, there are times when, when love will be intentional about fairness. That does happen. We try to express equal love to our children. We try not to show favoritism to our three children. We, uh, we are intentional about spending the same amount on them at Christmas time. We let them all sleep inside, regardless of who got the best report card. I know, we're great parents. However, sometimes love moves beyond fairness. It's not that love is absent from wanting fairness, but sometimes love blows past it and shows grace and compassion to those who don't deserve it. I watched a woman care for, true story, watched a woman care for her ex-husband as he was dying. Now, just let the weight of what I just said settle on your heart. Not, not her husband of, uh, you know, 60 years, and they had this amazing relationship, and 
her ex-husband. And it doesn't matter why the divorce took place. It doesn't matter. This woman cared for her ex-husband while he was dying. He did not deserve love. He didn't deserve compassion that she extended to him in those last days. She treated him the way Jesus treated this man on the cross with grace and compassion. And I will never forget that picture of the gospel as I watched it play out. He could do nothing to make up for the things that he had said, the things that he had done. He could only accept the love and grace that he was being offered. Was it fair that what this woman prayed for for years, what her family prayed for for years, didn't happen until these last days of his life? Was that fair? Was it fair that Jesus was willing to say to him, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise just through simple faith in the forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The answer to both is no. But love is not ruled by fairness. Fairness must bow down to love. Sometimes we choose grace and compassion because that's what love does. Grace, hope, and love. Listen to the words of Jesus from the cross. I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. If you're a, if you're a believer... If you're someone who, who uh, has, has repented of your sin and trusted Christ as your Savior, I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that promise? And I know the immediate answer to the believer uh, would be this. Well, yeah, I believe that promise. That's the whole uh, premise of the gospel. Of course I believe the promise. And I want to push back and say, do you? Do you really believe it? Then why are you angry? What are you angry about? Are you angry about politicians and world leaders that are messing up our world? Okay, well, is your hope in politicians creating a better world for us? Or is your hope in Jesus the King creating a brand new world for you when he returns? Because if it's the second thing, then what are we angry about? Tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. Do you believe it? Do you really believe it? Then what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of World War III? Are you afraid of another pandemic? Are you afraid of globalists taking away our freedom? Listen, is your hope in living forever in this jacked up dying body, in this messed up dying world, is that your hope? Or is your hope in Jesus, the one who promised that he was going to go and prepare a place for us and give us this brand new immortal body? If our hope's in the second thing, then what are we afraid of? If you are angry or afraid about what is happening in our world and it doesn't seem fair because you're not the one messing it up, 
I want you to think about this. According to what God revealed to men like Daniel and John in prophecy, spoiler alert, the world's going to get a lot worse. God's already told us that the world is going to collapse at some point. There's going to be wars and global governance and tribulation and Armageddon. These things are going to happen. It's all part of God's plan before Christ returns. And you're like, well, welcome to Grace Fellowship Church, where we make everything feel better. No matter how bad the world gets, no matter what you believe about the timing of the rapture of believers from the earth, bottom line, in the end, Jesus wins. And because Jesus wins, we as believers win too. Yeah! Thank you. <laughs> when life doesn't seem fair, it's not. Remember the words of Jesus from the cross, words of grace, words of hope, words of love. I tell you the truth today, whatever that day is going to be for you and whatever it's going to look like for you today, you will be with me in paradise. That's assurance of eternal paradise with Jesus. And it means to us that we have nothing that we need to be angry about, nothing that we need to walk through life being afraid of. Because Jesus will make things right. Don't worry. He'll make things right. The righteous judge will make things right. And you and I as believers, we get to step into glory forever with an unending gratitude in our soul that God is not fair, He is faithful. Amen.